0: We're continuing on with our look in first Peter. are you loving first Peter like I am? I am first Peter has just been amazing, and uh just it's speaking specifically to the day and age we're at right now, which is just you know he it was written two thousand years ago. It just shows you the more things change, the more things remain the same it's just life is life is the same, and so uh, just great stuff and in the text we're going to look at today, we'll read it in just a minute um Peter is going to do something that he already did once in the book. So if you've been following along, you've been coming regularly to church, you're going to say, well, you said he did that before. Well, he did, but he's going to do it in a little different way this time. He is going to remind people, remind us, you and me, the writer, the people he's writing to, about who they are in Christ. He's going to do it, that again, you say, well, then why are we doing it again? Because he's going to do it in a different way. He's going to address it in a different way, try to get us to get our mind around what's the truth about who we are in Christ. And I was asking myself, why do I think Peter would do this again? And I think there's a really, really simple answer. That remember, who's he writing to? What was the situation of the people he's writing to? They're having what? They're being persecuted. They're in all kinds of difficulty. And I think it's easy to forget the truth about who you are, the truth about what God is doing when you're in the middle of struggles. And in the middle of struggles, it is easy to begin to identify yourself, your identity with your problems and your struggles. That you see the whole world through the lens of your problems and your struggles. So when one is suffering with illness, it's easy to identify yourself with that illness. And when somebody's having a relationship problem in their life, maybe their marriage is falling apart, it's easy to be so consumed with that situation that you see everything in your life through the lens of that one particular thing. And what I think Peter's trying to do here, again, is to break that kind of thinking so he reminds Christians the truth about who they really are. He says, this is the truth. You might not feel it right now, but this is the truth about who you are. This is the truth of what God says about you. And he and then he goes on to explain the impact of that truth. So let's look at our Bibles. 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 9 through 11 today. He says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are a people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Behold, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which weigh war against your, wage war against your soul, keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the things in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of his visitation. Now, does that remind... We stop right there. Does that remind anybody of an old chorus in church? Right? Who does that remind you of? How's it go? We are a chosen generation. Oh, royal priesthood, a holy nation. Who knows that song? All right, at least a dozen of us. Wow. So here's the deal, Suzanne. You can introduce any old songs, and they'll all think they're new. So I was actually going to have Suzanne do that here. They will all think, that. wow, look at that great new chorus. You know? That was, that was what I loved about when choruses were first introduced to church. I'm old enough to remember when, when you stop singing only hymns. Okay. And when choruses were introduced, the thing I loved about it, I don't know why I'm talking about this, was that they were just the Bible put to music. It's you're just singing theology. And so you're singing scripture. So anyways, this text, can we see what Peter is doing here? He starts with, with in this thing, that that song, a uh, chosen generation, a royal priesthood, he starts with giving four word pictures for Christians to get a better understanding of who, who they really are. Um, You see, because what he wants us to get is that you are not defined as, as George with a broken marriage or Sally with a disability. No, as a Christian, he says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. And each of these descriptions says something about the truth of who we are as Christian people. Now, before we look at these individually, which we're going to, do you notice as you look at anything, anything that each of these have in common? A chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. See, see, something in common, it's this. They are all communal. It's about, he says, a race of people, a group of people, a priesthood, a group of priests, a whole nation, and a people group, people for God's own possession. And I think this is really important to get because it's contrary often to how we view Christianity in the West. In the, what I mean in the West is this, in our enlightenment type of thinking, that all, that's all we know, our view of Christianity, contrary to Eastern thinking. Often to us, to you and me, and it's, it's packaged this way, Christianity is about our personal salvation, right? Make Jesus your personal Lord and Savior. How many times have we said that? Have I said that? Or we say, I got saved, and and that's all right, and it's all real, and it's all good, but it's incomplete. Because in the Hebrew thought, which this is, in the biblical time thought, in the Eastern thinking way of seeing the world, which is what the Bible is written from, that perspective, the relationship with God was well beyond individual. It was communal. It wasn't just ever about me. It was about us. 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 Us matters. This gathering of us together has enormous value in biblical thinking. That they viewed themselves as part of a whole. Part of something bigger than themselves. That they were a family. They were a nation. And that as a group, they were walking with God together, together. And Peter is saying here to these people who are struggling and challenging, remember, he's saying, remember folks, you are part of something bigger than just you you could get down you could be defeated but you're something you're part of something bigger than just you that you are part of a community and your identity comes from the community that you're part of that you are more than just you that we are us so yes you may be struggling in an area of your life is what this whole letter was written to but together we are strong together we can overcome, that we have a bigger identity and a bigger responsibility towards one another than just me. And I'd say this, the reason he starts that way, I think, is that's incredibly empowering to say my problem sometimes still can defeat me, but my individual problem can't defeat us. And he's reminding us that this is, that Christianity is communal, that together we are strong. Does that make sense? Yeah? All right. Then let's move on to see what each of these word pictures has to say about our identity in Christ. What's the first one? First Peter says, you are what? A chosen race. I think it is so important to remember this in the particular culture or moment that we happen to live in. When you become a Christian, when you say yes, when you say yes and you get baptized, when you become a Christian, you become part of the family of God. You actually become part of something that is different than you were part of before you became a Christian. Your truest identity, identity now, your truest defining identity now is as a Christian. Not as a German, not as an Italian, not as a Mexican, not as an African, You are now a new race, and and Paul in Ephesians writes all about that, becoming a new race, and a new race that we become part of is called Christian. We are the way. We are Christian. When Jesus comes, what's he do? He unifies people. The things that divide them become less important, that, hey, I'm a German and you're an Italian, that becomes less important, and the things that unify us become more important. This is why the Apostle Paul, when he was writing to the church in Galatia, wrote this. He's saying, this is the truth. This is the truth of who we are. You are neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, is he saying that literally you stop becoming a male or a female, you stop becoming a slave or a free person, you stop becoming a Jew or or Greek? No. He's saying, but what the most important thing about your identity now, the thing that unifies us now is that we are Christians and that you become something different than you were before you knew Jesus. We are now in Christ a chosen race. Unified in Christ. Race isn't to divide us. The race of being Christian is to unite us. So what, think of this. In this supercharged political world we live in, what's the only real answer to racial division and racial problems? Is it marching in the streets? Is it boycotting? Is it burning down buildings? Is it having another peace march? Whatever? No. None of that works. There's different people clashing with each other. The only real answer to racial division in the world is uniting in Christ. Why? Because he takes us, he takes the the things that divide us away and he unites us into this new thing called your race is now you are a Christian. So he's saying, listen, this is who you are as a group. Look at your group, man. You're You're this incredible new people, this new race. So what's the next word picture? that he then gives, Peter gives to help us identify, to know our true identity. He says this about each and every one of you. You are a royal priesthood, or we are a royal priesthood. Look at the person next to you and say, you're a royal priest. Did you know that you are a priest unto God? But not just a priest, you are a royal priest, a priest to the ultimate king of the cosmos, that you and I are in service to the king. And I want us to think about what that implies, what Peter is trying to get us to get our heads around and say, this is who I am. Even though I'm having problems, man, this is the reality of who I am. Um, that It implies that we are ministers, we are priests to and for God. Now, what didn't he say? He didn't say you're a paid clergy. He didn't say you have the title of pastor. You know, I said, we, each of us, every one of us, are priests unto God. This is not about a paid position in a church on a staff. We are all called as priests, holy priests, royal priests, to minister to and for God. That God has given each of us spiritual gifts So, those can be used to minister in his kingdom for his glory. So, we had two meetings on on Wednesday night here with a whole bunch of people who said, I'm going to use my gifts to minister to children, grades K through five and verse through five for boys and girls. We're going to minister to them, and I'm going to use the gifts that God's put inside of me to accomplish that for the glory of God. That's being a minister, a priest unto the Lord. Friends, this concept that he's getting at is what Martin Luther, 500 years ago, was getting at what we call the Reformation. There, he's trying to get this idea that there is no special clergy class of Christians. Do you hear me? As the guy standing up front here. Who makes his living doing this? I'm telling you, there is no special clergy class of Christians. We have different calls, different roles, different giftings, but not higher or lower positions. We are all priests. We are all ministers to and for God. That you, the person who said to you, you are a royal priest, they weren't lying. You are a royal priest. God has a priestly ministry for you. So not only does this word picture imply that we have a ministry, but it implies something else. It implies that we, as a priest, as a royal priest, we have access to the very presence of God. Now, you may say, well, as a priest, I kind of get that idea that that I have access to God. But do you know when Peter was writing this to that group of people 2,000 years ago, they were just starting to get this understanding? Because for thousands of years before Peter... The only ones with access to God were who? The priests. You know, they were the only ones. There was was the temple and the holy place and the holy of holies and this curtain that kept the people from God's presence. And once a year, only the priest could go in through the curtain and minister to God. But when Jesus was crucified, something happened. What happened in the temple when Jesus was crucified? The veil was torn in two from top to bottom. Why did that happen? People are saying, what's going on here? God was sending a message. The veil's been torn from top to bottom. That veil in the temple that separated the people of God from the presence of God was torn and removed. And now all people, all Christians, have access to God's presence. You don't need to be some denominational pastor you know, or clergyman. To have access to God. No, in Christ, we can, you can, according to what the writer of Hebrews wrote, come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace in times of need. Now here's the deal, when things go wrong in your life, I am gladly, give me a call, I gladly pray for you and hold you up, but here's the deal, you don't need me to do it. You don't need a clergyman to do it. That's Pre-Reformation thinking that was dividing people and saying, guess what, we got a special class of people and they're holding power over you. That doesn't exist. It didn't exist 2,000 years ago, but the church morphs into that wrong thinking. He's letting us know, no, you have access to God. That you can boldly come to the throne of grace because you were a royal priest. That you may obtain, what's you say, mercy and find grace in your time of need. So if you are a follower of Jesus, you are a Christian, you are part of the royal priesthood. You have a divine ministry and you have access to God. Now think of it, if you would just grasp that word picture and a problem comes in your life, I have a pretty good feeling that that problem would get pretty small in relationship to your understanding. You say, I'm a royal priest. Guess what? I'm going to go talk to God about it. And God's going to give me the grace and the mercy that I need. Because that's what I said. When you come boldly to the throne of grace, what you get? You can find mercy and grace in your time of need. So when you're going through it, you come to God. And so, yes, I'll gladly pray for you, but you don't need me. You need, we need each other. You can pray for someone, and you can pray for someone, and you can pray for yourself. Because as he's saying, we're all the priesthood of believers. We're a royal priesthood. That gets you excited a little bit? Gets me excited, because if we get it, the city won't be able to handle what God's going to accomplish. It's going to be amazing. What's the next word picture that he paints? He says, we are a holy nation. A couple of things that this, that this brings to mind. First of all, we are and are to become a holy people. And here's what I mean by that. When we came to Jesus spiritually, this is what happens, the, the Bible paints this picture that the righteousness of Jesus, this holiness, the righteousness of Jesus is imparted to us. Then that change that happens when we go from darkness to light, the righteousness of Christ is imparted to us and we become holy. That our sins are forgiven, and it's as if we had never sinned. That that's how God sees you. That's the gift he gives you. If that's not a hallelujah moment, understanding it, I don't know what it is. That God looks at you and says, you are holy. That's what he sees but we know the reality of our life that God sees it that way but I still go to work every day and I still interact with the world and what do I know that we all every one of us still struggle with sin that we live in a broken sinful world and the sin of the world attaches to us and attacks us and it is it's real so as Christians we are to give ourselves to the overcoming of the sinful world by the power of the Holy Spirit within us. That we strive to live holy lives by partnering with the Holy Spirit and allowing ourselves, the Holy Spirit, to help us become more holy people. We do things like Paul said back in the beginning of chapter 2. Look at the beginning of chapter 2, a sermon we looked at a week ago, two weeks ago. Um, Look what it says just in verse 1. He's saying this to Christian people. This is what you should do. Therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and all hypocrisy and envy and slander, like newborn babes long for the pure milk of the world. He's saying, listen, we have a part to play in this holiness thing, that positionally you become holy, but we also choose to walk in lockstep with the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit says, listen, Mark... You put aside that malice. You put aside that deceit. You put aside that hypocrisy. You put aside that envy and that slander. I have to look at that and go, God, help me do this. How do I do this? We have a part to play in the process. So as a holy nation, we are in this community of believers, this nation who grow and develop in holiness, becoming more and more conformed to the image of Jesus. That's the goal of our walk with Jesus. And as a community, we help one another toward that goal. The Bible says this, that as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another, that we help each other get better. Sometimes that's hard. Sometimes it's saying to a person, sorry, can't do your wedding. I'm not being mean, I'm not being judgmental, but I just can't do it because I don't know that you're walking with Jesus. And they evaluate, and they come to know Jesus, and they go, I got better because somebody said something hard to me. Sometimes it's a word of encouragement. They just think they can't make it. You come alongside and you put your arm and say, you can do it. And you encourage them along. So, um, we we help each other become the, the people in the image of God. More loving, more kind, more forgiving, more gracious. That's who we are in Christ and that's who we're becoming. Now, Peter has one final word picture. He says that we are a people for God's own possession. And friends, we have to get this one. Because it will give you what you need to walk through whatever curveballs life throws at you. That you are God's possession. That he, he holds you. He possesses you. That God has willingly reached out and taken you as His very own and drawn you close to His very own heart. That God looks at you and He looks at me and He says, they are mine. Imagine that. The devil's saying, let me do this. And God says, oh no, they are mine. That that's the way God looks at you. You are his possession. It doesn't matter what else happens in life. Peter reminds us of the truth that we sometimes forget that we are God's possession. That God possesses us. He holds us. He treasures us. And as we go, we're going to see the reality of this, this same day when Jesus returns, someday when Jesus returns and we are fully united with Him, you know, new bodies, new heaven, new earth. We're going to see that, that God's possessing us fully as we see Him face to face. But for today, when life happens, Peter reminds us of the truth. You are. God's people. God loves you. You are a people for God's own possession. Man, that's got to make us say, whatever comes, I can get through it. Right? Amen? Now, Peter doesn't stop here with the four words. Take a few more minutes here and let me explain why he doesn't stop. He doesn't just stop giving these four word pictures with the reminding us of, of the truth of who we are. He says there's a point to all of it. There's a point to why he reminds us of us and why we walk in this truth. And the, the point that he makes, the first part of the point he makes is this. And it, it, it's something that we need to get here, and it's what I said at the beginning. Remember, it's going it's to come to this later, about water baptism and leading people to Jesus. He says the first reason I'm reminding you of all of this is so as a follower of Jesus you can brag about God who brought us out of darkness into marvelous light. Look at verse 9 again. But you are a, royal, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. What's it say next? So that, so that or because, so that, what? You may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Peter reminds us of who we are so that... We can brag about God. Peter is saying basically this, tell everybody about what God has done for you. That's what water baptism, that's why we say before we baptize them. Why are you getting baptized today? And they, te- they brag about God. I was having a hard time. My life was on the wrong track. I came to God and God rescued me. That's what, that's what it's all about. So, so Peter says, tell everybody about what God has done for you, how your life was darkness, But now in Christ, he says, it's become living in the marvelous light. Friends, this is the key to having a baptism every Sunday. This is the key. You and I walking through life bragging about God, about what God has done in your life. This is what a royal priest gets to do. This is part of the ministry we're called to. It's about telling our story, about telling what God has done for us. It's about saying, you know what, I'm a different guy than I was before. And that can be threatening at times because you live in a world where everybody knows you one way and now you become different. You've got a choice to make. Are you going to say, but no, I'm a different person, that God has changed my life and you brag about God. Friends, when we talk to other people about Jesus, we should not be bringing people to a doctrinal position. We should not be bringing them saying, we have the best church in the world, although you might feel you do, and I hope you do, but that's not the main thing. We are bringing them, we are introducing them to a Savior that's alive and real and can rescue them from the darkness of this world. We're bragging on Him. And Peter points out that this isn't just about what we say. He says it's also about how we live our lives, how we break on them. Look at verses 11 and 12. Behold, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts, which wage war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so people are watching, so that in the things in which they slander you, as they lie about you, they call you evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. As we live differently, we live in light of who, he, who we really are and others see us. Notice Peter says, they will still lie about you maybe, slander you as evil dealers, but our good behavior, our good deeds, he says in verse 11, which he says is our abstaining from fleshly lusts will lead them to glorify God on the day in which He returns. They will see us as different than we used to be and different than the world around us. Um, We'll live out being a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own choosing. We'll brag about how good our God is and tell about how God has changed our lives. And it says here, some will come to know Jesus and celebrate with you and some will still slander you. But it says all. We'll give glory to God on the day when Jesus returns. I don't know about you, but I need to be reminded of these things. I need to be reminded of who I am. I need to be reminded in, the, in a crazy world about who I am and why I am who I am. So that God is saying, listen, in the midst of the chaos, maybe more important in the midst of the chaos, start bragging about me. Start bragging about tell Tell people what I've done. They're hurting. If we're in chaos, they're in ten times more chaos. Start telling them what God has done for you, how he's brought you from darkness to light. Start telling them that. Let them see there's hope. There's hope because if God would change you and rescue you, God will change them and rescue them. Friends, and if we do that, I believe this. This tank will stay here every week. And I believe that's what God wants. Not because he... he wants a tank in church, it's because he wants people constantly coming into the kingdom. People saying, you know what? I was trapped in darkness, chained in sin, and now I've come to the marvelous light of Jesus. And the way it happens is that you and me live this life, we live it out, and in the midst of it, we brag about God. And some will say you're a lunatic and they'll lie about you and they'll slander you. That's what it says. No sugar coating. But some will say yes to Jesus. Amen. 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 Would you pray with me this morning? Jesus, Father, thank you for helping us to see the truth about who we are becoming when we walk with you. Thank you for these word pictures that you inspired in Peter's soul, that he would write them down that would just help us have clarity about who we are. Thank you for that. And I pray this, Lord, help us to live into who you say we really are. Help us, Lord. And Lord, would you give us boldness that, Lord, as we do our our best to allow you to form us, we partner with you and we give our energy to that and our goal is to become more like you, more loving and kind and good and gentle and forgiving and, and all these things that just radiate your truth in the world that's just the opposite. Would you, would you help us? Would you encourage us? Would you strengthen us by your spirit so that we could become the people that you say we are? We are it. We know it. But we want to live into it more and more and more every day. And so, Lord, we ask, we look right now in this moment. We say, yes, God. Yes, God. I want that I want that in my life. I want that to be me. Now as we come to our end of our time together today, maybe you're here today. I don't know. Maybe you're here today. You've seen the water baptisms. You've heard the stories of real life people, not pastor, not some clergyman, real life people Um telling their stories about how they have come to into the the wonderfulness the joy of having their sins forgiven and understanding that they're brand new in jesus and and living that out that you're that you're helping people you're making us new you're giving us true life you're rescuing us maybe you're hearing that maybe you're hearing the description of what a christian is that you're a royal priest a holy nation and you're saying, you know what, Pastor Mark, I don't feel like that at all. I can't un- I, I've can't. i never done what those, what those people did today. I've never said to Jesus, yes, I want to be all in with you. Or maybe I did and I didn't really meet it and I've walked away. And I see this picture that Peter is painting. I want to be that person. I want to be in that royal priesthood. I want to be part of that holy nation. I want to be in something bigger than myself. I don't want to be trapped in my smallness of my sin anymore. I want freedom in Christ. I want to become a brand new person. And I can't do it. I've tried everything I can do and nothing I do works. And I sit here this morning or I'm in my home watching online. And I know something inside of me is saying I need Jesus. Well, that's something that's saying you need Jesus is the Holy Spirit. So I just want to give you a chance to say yes to Jesus. It's not about you and me. It's about you and God. But I want you to do something today. and No one's looking around. We're just having a private moment. I'm the only one with my eyes even open looking around. You say, Pastor Mark, I'm ready today. I'm I'm ready to be serious. I've, I've toyed with it before, but I'm finally ready to say yes. And I want to do something. I want to to say it. I want to do an action that says I'm all in. That's you with our heads are bowed and eyes are closed. You're saying, I want to say yes to Jesus. I want you to do something. I'm not going to call you out or embarrass you. I want you just to raise up your hand. When I see your hand, okay. I see that you can put those down. Anybody else? In the center? Just I'm not going to embarrass your call. I just want you to be able to, to do an act Just say, yeah, I want to be in with Jesus. This is about eternity. Over on my right. Anybody? I'm going to invite us all to pray. Those who have said, raise your hand and say yes. I want us to pray. I'm going to invite the whole congregation to pray this morning. Maybe you're in line. Pray with us this morning. Nothing, nothing magical about the words. We're just talking to the reality of God who's in this room with us because he's everywhere is going to talk to him this morning. So our whole congregation, will you all just pray this way? Out loud. Dear Jesus, I need you. And today, I'm coming to you. I want to give you my life. Take it all. Take all the pain, all the hurt, all the confusion, and make me brand new take me out of the darkness and help me live into your light. So on this day, I give my life over to you. And from this day, I want to follow you. So I need help doing that. Lead me. Guide me. Fill me with your presence. Fill me with your spirit so I can walk in your ways. So on this day, I say yes to Jesus. And I receive Jesus as my Lord and my Savior. And I become part of something so much bigger.